0: Hi, I'm Viv and I'm the face behind Skin Farmer Aesthetics in stockton on tees and I thought I'd do a live this evening and I'm very uh, proud and happy to be joined hopefully by um, Tamer Shoaib who's a consultant plastic surgeon based in Glasgow up in Scotland so I'll just see where Tamer is, it shouldn't be too long. It's um... It should be an interesting uh, chat with him because he's involved with facial aesthetic work but he carries out surgical work too and his background is, is plastic surgery. So he should be able to give us quite a good chat about the work that he does. I'll just see where he is, I won't be a second. There we go, I've just set him an in invite, right. hopefully it won't be too long. Um. Yeah it's it's somebody I've uh, come across because of uh, another person ah there you are Tamer I think you're trying to join That'll be a sec. I think your camera's on the other way Tamer
1: I think it is
0: it is all yeah
1: <laughs> all right let's see if I can work out how to change that camera
0: should be just a little reverse button at the bottom of your screen somewhere
1: yeah, that's what they all say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's see what I can. do. Oh no, maybe I should. Do. Oh dearie <laughs> me, how am I
0: going to do this? Don't worry. It, it's 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 so. It's usually at the bottom of the screen, a little can- <laughs> there, it, there you <laughs> <laughs> are. <Dearie> nice. <laughs> Nice to see you at last. It's nice to actually um, see you face to face, even though it's online. But uh, how are you doing? Have you had a good day today?
1: Yeah, I was operating in the morning, and then um, I had um, uh, I had a bit of a, a break in the afternoon, so I just had to catch up with a few things. And yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, the mess in the background. I'm having some work done at my house, and it's oh, just it's, it's, big
0: it's big. just. And I'll Just take my glasses off
1: because you can see the reflection of, of the...
0: Oh, it's, oh, it's have no got. You look fine either way, don't worry. Uh, but thanks well, well, a lot for joining me I've got
1: a permanent beauty filter on in my camera, so... I think
0: you're I think so. <laughs> I think I you know, should. I wouldn't have thought you'd have needed that of all people. I wouldn't have thought you would. But uh, thanks a lot for joining me tonight. Um, I've got to thank Balsam, actually, Balsam Alabasi from Term Refined Skin Clinic in Mayfair. She's um, She very kindly introduced us to each other. I'd never really come across you. I've heard of you, but I've never really found out much information about your background. So it was interesting to to speak to her about you when she passed on my details to you as well. So. It's it's really an, uh, a chat I, I wanted to have with you about your work, Tamer, to see what you do and how you've got into it and what your plans are as well for the future. So I hope you don't mind me asking you a few different questions about that. Far away. Okay, right. So... Um, your background. What, how would you describe the sorts of work you do? Uh, most of the people that are watching this are probably members of the public. There's there's probably quite a few practitioners, non-surgical practitioners, maybe the odd plastic surgeon. Not very many, but for them to understand as easily as possible, how would you describe your work overall? How would you describe that to them?
1: Well, I I would I would I would call myself a, a consultant plastic surgeon. And my work nowadays is uh, solely in aesthetic surgery, well, aesthetic surgery and aesthetic medicine. And the vast majority of my work, I would say is surgical and probably about 10% of my work is in um, fillers and Botox. And that's my clinical work. I um, also have a bit of a a medical legal practice and I have uh, a a few teaching commitments as well. So so that's that's probably a summary of of what I do.
0: So you do quite a broad range of work. It's not a single type of work that you do. You're quite um, varied in in the work that you're carrying out day to day, I I think, based on what you've said. Yeah, and, and, you know, even in um, aesthetic
1: surgery, you know, there are some surgeons who will just concentrate on the face. There are some who will just concentrate on, on body work. And yeah. and I suppose my background, you know, every plastic surgeon is trained in body work, and and we do that throughout our training, and uh, uh, we follow it up in our careers as well. And uh, yeah. some of us are trained in head and neck work. So when I was appointed as a consultant in the NHS, yeah, my job was to perform cancers uh, of the face and mouth. So from from around here to yeah. about there. And, um, you know, above that is the, the neurosurgeons and, and, and below that is the ENT surgeons. So it was it was that kind of area here. And, you know, when I started as a plastic surgeon, that was about 15 years ago, um, something like that. And, yeah. um, you know, that was before we had Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, you know, I suppose people would, uh, would still want cosmetic uh, consultations. And so yeah, I guess that's... back in the day, people would go to their GP and would say, doctor, who do you think I should go to? <laughs> uh, to get my uh, to get my uh, my work done, and, yeah. uh, and 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 maybe the the GPs would say, well, why don't you go see this joker that I know called uh, yeah. this Shred fellow, and uh, you know he does a bit of head and neck work, and uh, he does a bit of body work, and then also you know people would come and I would do their eyes, their nose, their face, and they would say, well, can you do my Botox and can you do my fillers now? <laughs> uh, and again, it was before the days where uh, we could just just do our online research and and find someone.
0: Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah. Uh, so I started doing uh, a few fillers and Botoxes, and um, you know, my clinics became jam-packed full of people getting follow-ups for uh, yeah. for for these treatments, and so I had to um, I had to ask the, the 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 private hospitals, you know, can I get more space? <laughs> and eventually, they said, well, we don't have any more space on the days when you're free. So I said, well, maybe I'll just set up my own clinic. So that, that happened about uh three years after I was appointed as a consultant.
0: Yeah, yeah. You've you've, you've done a lot in, in in the time you've you've been doing this work. I think it's it's amazing to hear someone like you talk about the different things that you do. So for somebody that perhaps doesn't know about the path that practitioners would follow, say from Doing your O levels, doing your A levels, and then getting into medical school. How did you progress from that point? Um, from starting off, you know, at the beginning of medical school. So you did your O levels years back, just like me. I'm guessing you did your A levels. You you got the grad, You got the qualifications you needed to get into medical school. So what happened once you started medical school, Tamer?
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I I um, uh, li- linked up and hooked up with one of my lab partners at university and and uh, and, and on, on Facebook, and she said, "Oh, you're a plastic surgeon. You always said you wanted to be one." And she was my lab partner for first year and second year, so I must have I must have said at that time because I don't remember saying it, but obviously she did. And so, and towards the end of medical school, I, I remember doing a surgical attachment, and the consultant who was looking after us, uh, he uh, he said, "Look." is there anything you haven't seen that you'd like to see? And I said, well, I haven't seen any plastic surgery. So we spent a day at the local plastic surgery hospital. And um, then I got a, a junior doctor's post at that same hospital later on. And I thought, this is really interesting. This is quite intricate surgery. And I said and I said to myself, you know, I'd like to be a hand surgeon because I think hand surgery is, is quite intricate. It's quite delicate. It's, uh, you know, the hand is a work of art. Uh, and uh, all the way, all the tenders interdigitate with one another, and the muscles that are there. So I thought I'd like to be a hand surgeon. So then I got another job at Oxford, and mm-hmm. uh, and I saw some head and neck surgery. Then I thought, well, this is interesting. And I saw some skin cancer work, and I thought, well, that's quite interesting as well. And I thought this is difficult surgery, and I thought this will <laughs> take me a long time to uh, you know to develop my skills in it. And even as a consultant, I think it's uh, it's it's difficult surgery. So I yeah. thought, um, uh, so I, I then uh, parked my career to uh, try and become a head and neck plastic surgeon, so
0: that, that that's what I did. Amazing, amazing. Um, it, it, it's, it's a great, it's great work you do for the people that you carry out the work for. Um, what would you say, well, I've got a few questions, one of the questions I wanted to ask you actually plastic surgery somebody that doesn't understand why it's termed plastic surgery why is that why is the work you call plastic surgery termed
1: i think there's a there's a greek origin to the word and uh plastikos meaning uh, it means to to mold or to shape and so right. a lot of what we do is is reconstructive work and uh, and and we reshape and uh, we remodel and uh, we, I suppose where our job is to to build things back up and uh, perform reconstructive work, and so that's the um uh, that's the the basis of that uh, but I guess nowadays we are sticking plastic in people as well
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, it's just in case people wondered, are you actually when you first started off there wasn't any particular plastic material that was involved in the work directly it's more a case now because of non surgical work and surgical work together um you do a lot of different types of work. What what would you say you enjoy about it most? What really drives you to do the work? You know,
1: it's it's nice I'm in a nice position because if, if there's anything that I don't enjoy, I I just won't do it. But you know, the hardest thing about uh, about career development I think in, in plastic surgery and in aesthetic surgery, aesthetic medicine is you've got to give up things. And so um in my training I was Doing limb reconstructions and breast reconstructions and um, head and neck surgery, skin cancer work. I uh, I, uh, I was part of uh, you know we we train in cleft lip and palate surgery, and um, you know burn surgery. We you have to give all these things up, uh, and when you become a consultant, of course you have a general interest in plastic surgery, but uh, we all sub-specialize, and so my subspecialty interests were head and neck surgery and skin cancer surgery, particularly the skin cancers that had uh, spread. And uh, of course, I started my private practice uh, shortly after that, mainly in aesthetic medicine and surgery. And then, you know, I went part-time in the NHS and I had to start giving up uh, some of the things there. So I gave up my head and neck surgery work. I was just in uh, skin cancers that had started to spread. Yeah. And then uh, I left the NHS, so I had to give up my reconstructive work. And um, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, to to give up things that you really enjoy. So yeah. you know you have got to do what you got to do, and they, they say as you get more and more older and more mature in your career, you get to know more and more about less and less, and uh, of the obvious uh, <laughs> and, uh, the obvious endpoint to that is that eventually you'll know everything about nothing. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> there's a lot of people that, kn- that know everything about nothing. I think there's quite a few of them around. Um So. You've got your own private clinic called La Belle Form in Glasgow, and you've got other practitioners who work for you, in um, specialists. Do you, do you get on well with them, with the other practitioners at, at the clinic?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know if they would say the same about me. I mean, but uh, I think they. Uh, do you know the the reason um, someone is appointed is because you know competency is a given. Everyone's got to be uh, good at what they do if they if we want to take them on as our, our friends, our colleagues, our associates, our partners. Uh, and um, but I think, do you know, that, that some people have got really nice personalities and uh, they, they shine and they, they really bring um, they bring a bit of sunshine into our lives. And, and uh, that's reflected on to how they manage the patients. And um so th- these are the people that i i I, uh, I want uh, working with me, and it just means that the whole team has a has a very pleasant experience whenever we 're working together, no matter who it is uh, that 's working with us and um, and I know uh, one or two of my um, um, my, uh, my my uh, my colleagues are here on the, on the live <laughs> yeah. and um you know th- I, I, I I really do very much like working with the people that that, that i work with
0: yeah no no it, it, your your enthusiasm certainly shows through i think uh, it's going to be hard keeping to a time limit tonight because we're both going to be talking so much about the work we do um do you have any funny stories about any of the work that you've done in the past tamer
1: yeah do you know when i was a very junior doctor i um i i wanted to uh, you know, uh, I wanted to go into plastic surgery as a career, and uh, so for a while I thought I had, had the opportunity of carrying on in uh, one of my jobs, but I gave that job up, and I just uh, I, I I had a gap of about three months, and so um, I uh, I had done a bit of laser work back in you know 1994 when I was a very junior doctor in plastic surgery, and uh, so I started uh, working in a clinic where uh, the the job that I did was uh, laser tattoo removal. So there were a few tattoos there, and uh, there was one man who had uh, the map of Italy on his back, but the, uh, the boot was pointing the wrong way. So uh, he said, "I've got to get this removed." We had uh, there was uh, there was some guy called Gary, and uh, he had uh, Gary with uh, you know it was printed on his knuckles, but he got an injury on on the R, and so that part of his his hand was 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 taken off, and so he just said G A Y. So, uh, see, <laughs> so he he uh, he was quite a hard nut. So he uh, he wanted that removed. So I think sometimes we see some um, funny tattoos. You know, I think that's probably yeah. the funniest aspect of of what we see. And of course, you know, if if you if you engage with your patients, you, you can have a bit of a laugh with them. But um, maybe yeah. it doesn't for everyone. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's it, it, it's certainly interesting. Speak to different people all the time. You hear different stories all the time about what they get up to and the reasons they've come to see you in the in the first place. We could talk about tattoo removal all on its own, but we'll, we'll carry on and we'll go through the rest of the chat anyway. Um, so you you do different types of work. So in terms of the actual treatments that you carry out, Tim, like surgical and non-surgical. What particular treatments? Uh, are you known well for what, what's what what's the work you, you specialize in in particular
1: um you know it'd be hard to pinpoint one particular thing that I do so I, I and, and and I enjoy everything that I do so I think um, um you know my two most common surgical procedures are uh rhinoplasties and uh all types of breast surgery. And yeah. um, and in terms of non-surgical work, fillers uh, and uh, lasers, I think um, what I what I do most is probably non-surgical facelifts where you know, we're using multiple syringes, you know, four, eight, 12, 16 syringes of filler and also um, uh, a, a carbon dioxide laser resurfacing. So these are the the these are I suppose those are the four most common things that I do and that I uh, that I enjoy. And you see a big difference, and you make big differences to people's lives. You know, um, um, the 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 people that come to see me on whom I do a rhinoplasty, you know, it's affected them for for ten years, and they say, you know, I've been thinking about having something for ten years. I was uh, I was teased uh, during my teenage years. I was I was bullied at school, and um, you know it, it really causes me a bit of distress. And um, I just want to normalize my appearance. I just want to close that uh, book in the chapter of my life, and I just want to move on and uh, and, and yeah. just do things. Just I just want to function in society normally. And, and, and yeah. uh, people tell me their stories about how how uh, their uh, appearance has affected them, and then. When we change that, uh, I, I asked my patients, you know, so how has it made a difference to your life? And yeah. uh, and um, and you know, they tell me some really nice things. You know, there was one, um, there was one uh, person who said, um, you know, I was sitting in the in the train, and the sun was beating down from behind me, and I saw my shadow on the train. And I saw this beautifully straight nose and I just couldn't stop looking at my shadow. And I thought, oh, that's quite funny. Nice. Nice.
0: It's, a, it's, a nice comp- it's great to have great compliments from your, from your patients over a period of time. It, it really makes it worthwhile when they tell you what they think of your work. Um, do you have a favourite treatment of all that, that you prefer doing or that, that gives you the most pleasure in doing?
1: I think it's hard for me. It's going to be hard for me to pin one particular treatment down. But I like to make differences to people's lives, you know, and, and yeah. obviously in a positive way. And and I like to hear people's stories. Uh, I like to hear, you know, how is this affecting you, and uh, you know, why are we doing this? Why should we be yeah, doing yeah. any kind of treatment? And um and and I always ask them afterwards, you know, how uh, how has it made a difference? And and I think the biggest differences are in people's facial appearances.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I've been doing aesthetic work, non-surgical work, for about five years now. My background's clinical pharmacy. I'm a th- pharmacist prescriber. And I posted a few days back about a lady I treated about four years, years ago, just for marionette lines. It's just a simple problem of a marionette lines, lines from the mouth down towards the jawline. And it gave her a permanently sad look. No matter what she did, she looked sad. And she came to me. She was scared of needles. I managed to do the work, and it took two steps to get to the point that she wanted to reach. And she keeps coming back to me now after after these every year for the last what four years. And she's she's still so happy about the work I did and the fact that she found me in the first place. And it's it's really gratifying, you know, to be able to speak to somebody like that who's life you've changed massively in their opinion so you do that every single day in multiple ways so i mean it's it's amazing to be able to talk to you about that so thanks for that um what's your view of non-surgical cosmetic treatments team such as fillers the reason i'm asking particularly is because as, as i say i'm a non-surgical practitioner um i don't do any surgical work i'm not a doctor i'm a pharmacist most of the practitioners in the uk are all all carry out non-surgical work in terms of filler usage. You do surgical and non-surgical and you've got a good idea of what to use for certain patients and when to move from maybe non-surgical to surgical work, which is beyond the scope of most non-surgical practitioners. They stick to use of fillers, they stick to use of peels, Botox, etc. cetera. But the point at which they'd move a patient possibly from non-surgical work to surgical treatment is, is difficult for them because they don't always understand what can be done surgically. Um, what's your view of the use of non-surgical treatment in patients that you treat?
1: I think they go hand in hand and they're not mutually exclusive, but equally when uh, someone has a surgical procedure to, uh, to reshape their face, I think we have to maintain that and i often think about it in terms of you know you buy a nice car and you gotta you gotta service it every year and if you don't service it you don't have to service it but eventually you know the the oil's going to get a bit sludgy it's going to choke up your engine and uh, you're going to have to buy a new car so if someone has a facelift you know they should uh they should have a few fillers from time to time they should have some lasers some botox and um you know maybe they should do that once every six months once every 12 months and that's just uh it's just their annual mot is just their annual service isn't it so um yeah, so that, yeah. that's one way of looking at it another yeah. way is yeah. that um sometimes i'll do something surgical but i will say that as part of your treatment plan you'll you'll definitely need some non-surgical treatments performed at the same time and uh, there was a time, for example, there was a uh, there was a, a, a I saw a man, and he said, "Do you know I exercise all the time? I keep myself really fit. I had a rhinoplasty, um, you know, many years ago, but uh, you know now I'm in my uh, middle age. Uh, you know, my my face is getting a little bit uh, a, a trim just because uh, you know he was exercising so much and he was keeping himself so um, so fit." uh and but i think my my nose feels a little bit too big now for for my face you know i'd like to have it made smaller and i said look th- th- you're right i said uh you know your y- your nose is disproportionately large to your face but you you know y- your face is disproportionately small to your nose so um i actually did uh two treatments on him i did um i i, I did a rhinoplasty to make his nose smaller but i also gave him i think about Ten or twelve syringes of filler, while uh, while he was having his operation uh, for his nose, just to uh, just to add a little bit of width and uh, definition and uh, contours to his uh, to the rest of his face as well. So I think um, they work well together, uh, just to balance mm-hmm. things uh, things out. And, uh, and and I think also non-surgical treatments they're much more precise, and you can mm-hmm. you can fine tune a lot of things. Uh, whereas surgery it's uh, it's the bigger picture. It's a, it's a blunderbuss approach. And it's um you know, we, we make a, a face tighter, we may lift we lift a face with a lift, we make a nose smaller all around. Um but uh with the imperfections that we always see uh with with the surgical procedure, fillers can uh, can can fine-tune the the results, I think, as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's nice to be able to hear someone like you speak, not just about surgical work, but non-surgical as well, and how both can integrate well with each other. Um, what What are the main issues you tend to see concerning patient requests for treatment, surgical treatment in particular? What, what are the main issues that are involved for you?
1: Well, I think there's always gotta be a why. You know, why are we doing this? It's always gonna have an impact on their lives. And I remember seeing uh, one person who, um, uh, who, who, um, who came to me saying, I'd, I'd like to have a rhinoplasty. And I said, well, how does it affect you? And she said, well, it doesn't really affect me. And I said, well, why are we doing this then? She said, well, I, I don't know. You know, I just want a smaller And <laughs> I said, well, you know, there's a lot of risks associated with a procedure like that. Maybe we shouldn't be doing it. So um, I think that's, that's important. Uh, you know, why are we doing something?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just, there's there's so many different issues that patients face now. And I, I think a lot of problems I didn't even think existed. You know, there's like, like, like treatments available for a problem that never existed. And I just find it odd, like, like, I don't know what you think of it, but with Botox for calf muscles, like to me, why do you need it you know but there's practitioners around the country that do botox to reduce the size of calf muscles in the legs what, what do you think of that
1: we're never happy are we some <laughs> we want bigger calves we want smaller calves we want a bigger nose we want a smaller nose we want a bigger face we want a smaller <laughs> face we breasts we want them higher the lower you know bigger and smaller we're just never happy are we so <laughs> <laughs> and so you and me <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. What about like a woman that might come to you for, say, breast augmentation? How do you deal with the whole picture of somebody thinking about it coming to you, expecting you to treat them? What, how does the pathway work when somebody first thinks they want some surgery? We call it, say, breast augmentation. What would happen and what would go through your mind when, that, when, that's, when there's a request for something like breast augmentation?
1: I think there are two reasons why people will want to have uh, breast augmentation surgery. One of which is, you know, I've never really had anything and I just want to have a degree of femininity. And, uh, you know, I've always felt a bit small. I've always felt a bit embarrassed. You know, if I go to the beach, if I go on holiday, um, you know, when I'm uh, when I'm in intimate situations, I I don't really feel uh, as womanly as I really would like to feel because I've never really developed. And I've seen my friends develop and and I've seen uh, other people. Uh, have a big difference to their lives by having surgery and uh, so so I've come to speak to you about this so that's that's one reason and I think the other is uh, people say you know I used to be quite nice I used to um, I used to be very happy with my body but things have changed you know I've um, some people may have had uh, a bit of weight loss some people may have had uh, a few children and you know we- Obviously, we love our children, uh, but they have an impact on uh, on a woman's body, don't they? and uh, so they say "My family is now complete or I've, I've reached my target weight," and um, often they'll say, "You know I was never really completely happy with my appearance uh, and uh, now I just uh, now I'm ready to uh, to go ahead and have something done. So I think these are the two main reasons why people come to see me. And a lot of people are just looking for normalization. They they want to, uh, they just want to feel normal. They want to feel happy and they want to function in society in their, in the circle in which they function uh, to, uh, to as great a degree as they, uh, as they want. I don't think people come in uh, saying, um, you know, I want a specific look, I just, I want to have, um, you know, big round fake uh, breasts it's its just not the, the vast majority of uh, requests and um, the majority of people they they have these stories and um, this is why people um, come for a breast augmentation yeah
0: yeah do, do you have any odd requests in terms of appearance surgical or non-surgical there must be the slightly slightly odd request or request that you think, well why do they really want that? Is there anything like that that's happened before
1: with you yeah and I usually um you know I usually filter them out at the inquiry stage and um you know i had a I had a man and uh, he was from France he said, I am a man in France, and uh he said my uh, my girlfriend is undergoing breast augmentation surgery, and I would like to uh, follow her in her journey, so could you do the same for me so um we just i said, I said no I, said, I i said i don't have any experience of this
0: yeah, uh, yeah. right okay so I, absolutely not, so I, not come across anything like that before
1: no, i think that was probably the the, the the most unusual request that i've had but i actually went to a conference once and it was uh, a, it was a conference of the you know some plas- of 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 one of the british plastic surgery societies And there was a talk from a Dutch plastic surgeon. And uh, the talk was entitled, uh, My Unusual Plastic Surgery uh, Procedures that I've performed in the past. And uh, he said, uh, one of the most unusual was, um, uh, there was a man who wanted to be dragged around the room by his dominatrix. And uh, he he wanted a handle, booked into his, you um, uh, wanted a handle made into his abdomen so that he could be dragged around.
0: <laughs> okay, all right. right. I'm guessing you didn't do the work.
1: Uh, no, the, this this Dutch plastic surgeon did the work. Oh, but, right, right, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so it, was, it, was just, it was his uh, his presentation entitled My Unusual Plastic Surgery right. Procedures." Okay. Yes, yeah, so I, I suppose uh, do you know. I, I, you know, I suppose you get your extremes, and, um, yeah. and I'm not really an extreme kind of guy. I think um, I think the vast majority of of, of plastic surgeons and, and the vast majority of people who come and see us, it's really just for normalisation. And, yeah. And yeah, it's just for. Um, I want to look a little bit better, and I want to normalise my appearance. You know, they, they say there are four types. Of, uh, of of people that come and see us, there's the normalization, beautification, aging gracefully, and transformation. And yeah. um, you know, among those, uh, among that group of people, um, the transformation group is is something that we uh, we tend not to see. You know, they want their whole face uh, shape changed, and they they um, you know they they may be from a, a part of the world where um, they have specific uh, facial features which are um, specific to their cultural backgrounds. And they want yeah. to uh, change it around quite considerably. Um, yeah. and, and you know, I, I I don't really do that work. Uh, we have the um, ageing gracefully uh, group of people who who say, you know, I I look in the mirror, and uh, when I look in the mirror, I don't see on the outside what I feel on the inside. And yeah. um, I feel full of life, full of vitality, uh, full of joie de vivre, and and I just don't see that when I uh, when I look in the mirror. So so the, the change that we want to make is is to make them age gracefully and to carry on looking pretty much the same as the as the years go by um there's yeah. the uh there's the beautification market you know I, I want to look good in my selfies you know I take a yeah. selfie every day I wear a new outfit every day and uh do you know I, I want to have my um uh, my lips done, my eyelashes my nails my uh, I put my fake tan on and uh do you know it's uh um it's it's <laughs> Uh, it's um you know it's it's one of these is one of these these things that a lot of people will want uh, i'm just reading the comments there um, <laughs> yes. one of my I friends wants to handle also, oh, yeah, I told me no, no problem. Anytime you, <laughs> you
0: want. <laughs> I've I've got to apologise to the viewers. I've not been reading the comments. I've been listening to you most of the time, Tim. So apologies for that. Um, so yeah, looking at again the treatments that you do, I, I do work with lip augmentation in particular, non-surgical dermal filler-based treatments, and I, I see patients with scarring in particular, scarring around the lip area, and I carry out a number of different treatments to try and ease the problem. There's lots of different things that might cause the issues. Also um, issues like cleft palate, there's patients that you deal with in terms of cleft palate treatment. Um, In terms of the scarring, how do you deal with that in terms of surgical work and minimizing scarring or treating scarring? Had if it's already occurred um, through previous surgery or through injury? What what's your view, view of surg- um, treatment with scarring as the main problem?
1: Well, I think there's two types of scars. There's scars on the outside and there's scars on the inside. Because if you if you do any work, then uh, there's going to be a lot of scarring on the inside. Sometimes you have to address that, and and then there's scarring on the outside. You know, people have scars on their skin, and um, you know when when we look at a skin scar. I think we just got to examine it because the examination findings direct the treatments. So sometimes a scar is red, and if it's red, then we can laser it to make it less red because the lasers will seal off the blood vessels. If the scar is raised and itchy, then uh, we can put steroids in it, and that'll flatten it down and make it less itchy. The scar may be stretched, and so sometimes you can cut it out and stitch it back together again. Uh, The scar may... um, um, may cross the lines of uh, of election, you know the thing is when you smile, you need, we see lines like this when we frown, we see lines across the way. when you raise our eyebrows we we see lines across the way. sometimes a scar is at right angles to these uh, to these lines, and so mm-hmm. we can uh, we can alter the the um, orientation of a scar just to make it hidden a, a bit more and to make it um, more in the lines of um, you know our wrinkle lines uh, so it depends what a scar looks like. On the outside, sometimes the scar is indented, so we can put some fillers in and outdent it, or put some fat grafts in them. Uh, sometimes we can uh, we can take a, a graft of uh, dermis and uh, we can bury that into the into the scar as well if it's a bit indented. Uh, so there's all sorts of appearances that we see in a scar, and yeah. um, just depending on what we see, we can uh, we can make changes to it.
0: Do you do you deal with a number of patients with cleft palate issues, um, children, younger adults? Um, it's, it's children in particular from from an early age, a young age. Do you do a lot of work with cleft palates, or have you in the past?
1: Uh, so for for children, uh, um, children who are born with cleft palates and, and cleft lips, um, there are regional centres that will uh, that will look after these, uh, these these people, these kids, until they reach adulthood. And once they reach adulthood, then they will be—they'll um, either be followed up or they'll be discharged at that point. And a lot of um, a lot of people born with uh, cleft lip and palate, they're discharged at around adult life because that's when they finish growing. So yeah. various things happen depending on whether you've got a, a cleft lip or a cleft palate or a cleft lip and a palate. And um, you know, uh, so so for someone born with a a, a cleft lip you know sometimes the the lip will be repaired at about 6 weeks of age um sometimes um you know they 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 have a cleft nose as well so the the nose will be addressed at that point the palate is uh, is is addressed in about 6 months and uh, that allows them to uh, to develop and speak and uh, and uh, um you know thrive because uh, sometimes it can have an impact on their ability to uh, to to take milk um and then um, the next step is usually at around the time when people, uh, when the kids have mixed dentition, so that's at about yeah. age of nine or ten, and and the and the teeth are beginning to grow in a in a in a in a non-standard manner. So yeah. some, uh, so uh, sometimes the orthodontists are involved. Sometimes the um, uh, the the dentists dentists are involved to to remove teeth and to straighten teeth. Um, and then as the, the child then uh, develops into adolescence, then um, uh, the nose can have an unusual appearance as well. Uh, but also the maxilla may not grow forwards as much as it should. And so they can get a bit of a, um, a, a an underbite. And, and so um, they may need some maxillary advancement, uh, advancement yeah. surgery just so that their they teeth meet properly. Yeah. And then, um, the, and in the final stages of adolescence, and as they grow, then um, you know we, we 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 see the scarring from the the the, the lip work and the um, uh, and the the nose work, and so it's just a, a final tidy up procedure at that point. And usually at that point, it's uh, it's all settled down
0: yeah yeah amazing it's just there's um, there's a, a few comments about the um, cleft palate work that you do and i think there's a, a lady there a speech therapist um, talking about working with children with cleft lip and cleft palates and do, do you get on well in terms of networking with other parts of the healthcare professions in looking after patients from surgery onwards patients that need um need therapy speech therapy for example do do you get on well in terms of networking with other groups of practitioners
1: well because there's such a good network in in the uk for nhs provision of cleft lip and palate services because it's a it's a super regionalized service with um i don't know maybe one one or two surgeons for a five million population because what we know with cleft lip and palate is, and, yet, and, and I'm going back 15 years to my training here, uh, what we know is that the, the best results are um, are performed, or uh, are achieved with surgeons who do this all the time. Yes. So if someone uh, is a child who comes to see me, then I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't treat them. Um, and also because of the regulatory framework that we have within, uh, again, the UK for surgical provisions, uh, of ser- uh, and, and the provision of services for children um the uh, the surgeons that are uh, operating on children have to work uh, in an nhs environment where they're uh, where they're involved with pediatric work in any case and there needs right. to be a pediatric anesthetist um you know children aren't just small adults uh, or uh, you know small uh, small adults so they they need um they need provision for um uh, being looked after in a slightly different way. We, uh, if they're going to be in hospital for a few days, then it's got to be done uh, so that it doesn't disrupt their uh, their, their education. And if they mm-hmm. are going to be in for a long time, then uh, they need educational support while they're in uh, while they're in hospital. So um, the, the the people that I see who have been born with cleft lip and palate, they come to see me once they're um, in their twenties, usually. And they say, you know, I've had my cleft lip and palate work. I've um, I've uh, I've been discharged, but I still have some issues with my nose, with my lips, uh, with my appearance. And um, I just thought I'll just get it done privately. So um, they still have the opportunity to get this done on the NHS and the NHS actually provides a great service uh, for uh, for for children born with uh, cleft lip and palate. Uh But sometimes um, uh, sometimes they, uh, you know, once they're adults. Once they're um, working, they've got a bit of uh, spare money. They think, well, what am I going to spend my money on? Uh, and and yeah. this is something that uh, has affected them. And they they think, well, uh, I'll just bypass the um, the NHS waiting list because sadly they're they're becoming longer and longer. The, the, you know, they're talking about 10 million people on the waiting list. They're talking about a three-year wait for uh, for surgery if it's if it's elective surgery and it's uh, you know it's very sad that uh, people have to wait um, even though they have um, conditions that uh, the NHS is very willing to uh, to treat. Yeah
0: no it's it's a shame but I think um, there's a lot of great uh, healthcare practitioners around the country doing a lot of good work in the NHS so I think it's it's good that you've uh, you're able to talk about that. Um, in terms of uh, somebody considering say surgical cosmetic treatment What advice would you give to them, Tim? Imagine somebody's watching this now and they're thinking, you know what? I think Tim does a great job with breast augmentation and facial surgery. I think I need some surgery. What advice would you give them?
1: I think, um, you you know, you've you've got to know why you want it. You know what are you hoping to achieve because you know that's the question i'll ask what are our aims you know and um uh, we also want to know um uh, you know are they are they fit for, for treatments are they otherwise generally fit and healthy um and um uh, and from their perspective they probably want to know you know who's going to do this because i don't know anyone that's had this done or i know someone who's had it done but you know that's not the kind of work that i want done so um I would say to people and I would do the same if I were in this situation, um, you know, find out about your about your doctor, find out about your surgeon, find out about your practitioner, whoever's going to be doing whatever it is that you're going to get done. You know, um, have a look, um, find out a bit about them and then don't consider a consultation to be a um, um, a commitment. A consultation is just a consultation you know if you, if you if you If you speak to someone and you find out a little bit, go away and think about it you don 't have to commit to anything you don 't have to um, uh, have the operation if you don 't feel comfortable about it so um, that 's what I would say. Um, yeah. Do your research and um, make it considered judgment and yeah. um, don 't feel pressurized into having anything done yeah you know, think about it i've had people come back to me. Three years after their consultation, oh, I'm ready for it now, and I say, well, can you come in and let's have another chat before we uh, before, before we book you in? But you know, some people have had um, come come to see me several years after their initial consultation, and if if it's taken them that length of time to uh, to rationalise their decisions, fine, good for them. You know, it's obviously something that they've thought about. Yeah,
0: do you, do you see patients that perhaps have had? surgical treatment elsewhere, and they've not been happy with it. So they've come to you for your view of what can be done for them.
1: Yeah, I think there's two types of people who come having had work done elsewhere. One is, I had my work done. You know, I was happy with the work that I did, uh, or that I had done. But uh, just as time has gone by, things have changed. You know, our bodies change with time, our our face changes with time. And um, maybe it's time for me to consider you know uh reversing that clock a little bit and uh going back to what I uh what I used to what I used to look like or what I want to look like um so that that's one thing and then the other one is um you know I had some work done and I really don't like the result and um uh, you know what can you do about it and and and, and that's the you know that's a group of people you were asking about and and I would say that, uh, that there's a timeline for these people you know because some people come and see me and they say, you know, I had I had a bit of work done. I had an operation done. It was just a few weeks ago, and I really don't like the result. <laughs> and and some people say, you know, I had my work, I had something done, and um, you know, I um, there was a bit of a language barrier. You know, I went uh, I went somewhere, and uh, I don't really think they understood what I wanted. And uh, look how they've left me. And so <laughs> it, it's it's a, it's a bit sad, you know, because uh, you know they, they were maybe pressurized into having something. I, I, I've uh, seen some people who said, you know, I went to Turkey to get my breast done, and they did my nose at the same time," <laughs> and and I don't like um, I don't like the results. So it's uh, it's 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 you know it's a bit of a shame when there's a bit of a language barrier, and yeah, um, yeah. but thankfully you know most surgeons will look after their patients afterwards because every surgeon wants their patient to have a good result. You know we don't do this yeah. deliberately wanting anyone to have anything but the best result we can possibly give them. Yeah, and so
0: yeah.
1: Um, you know, sometimes if we don't understand what the what the person wants, or or the person doesn't really understand that there's a there's a bit of a a recovery period uh, before you you're going to see your final results. You know, these are the things that I think um, you know. Sometimes I'll just have a chat with them about that, and to say like, uh, give it time. Let's see how things are going. Um, you know, sometimes we can intervene, but the other thing is, you know, if they if they still got a follow up plan with uh, with their original surgeon. You can't have uh two chefs um, you know, cooking a meal. They have gotta decide, you know, who's gonna look after me. And if they um if if they decide uh, you know, I'm gonna carry on with with my original surgeon, I'm gonna carry on with my follow-up appointments, that's fine. But if they if they say, actually I, I I've lost faith in my in in my surgeon, in the in the in the person that treated me, then what I need is I need their notes. I need to know what was discussed at the consultation? So give me the consultation letter. Give me the, the, the consultation notes. I want to see what, what was uh, discussed mm-hmm. in terms of aims, in terms of risks. I want to know, uh, I want to see their before pictures. And these are, uh, you know, medically taken uh, preoperative mm-hmm. photographs. I want to then read the operation notes. And surgeons said, I've got terrible handwriting, but I can usually decipher the important parts of the operation notes. I want to see what's, uh, what's happened. And then, and even if it's in a foreign language, you know, medical terminology is often medical terminology, and I can usually find someone who's uh, who who speaks the language of the uh, of of the uh, of the surgeon where it's been written, and I want to see what the what the guy did, so because if the surgeon has done everything possible that I would have also done, then maybe there's nothing else that can be done, and and this is as good as it gets. Uh, and yeah. then uh, I want to just and then afterwards, I want to wait until we see the final results before we intervene, because if you intervene too early you 're just going to be operating on scar tissue, so you 're changing scar tissue, but scar tissue is going to change anyway, so there 's no point in operating if you 're just going to be operating on scar tissue so if there is someone who 's been a bit disappointed with the results and um, they, they just want to transfer their care over from their treating surgeon to a different surgeon then there's a process that you got to follow. And um, and, I'll, and and sometimes if it's in the UK, the easiest thing to do is phone the hospital in which you had your surgery and uh, speak to the medical records department and say, I would like a copy of my medical records, please. And th- th- there'll be a whole lot of information sent. You know, w- what kind of anesthesia did you have? Which, which antibiotics did you have during your anesthetic? You know, I, I really don't. It's not of interest to me, but that information will come. But within that information, I will distill out the, uh, the salient points of what happened so that I can uh, have an idea of, uh, you know, is there anything we can do? And, you know, the thing is, that's also linked to my medical legal practice, because a lawyer will sometimes ask me, you know, could you comment on, uh, on what's happened? Was it OK? Was it negligent? Was it, uh, was it the right thing to do or was it not the right thing to do? And uh, and of course I go through the same process. I, I sometimes handle, comp- uh, I sometimes help uh, other practitioners, and, and I provide an outsourcing service for uh, complaint handling. And again, that's what I'm doing. I go through the uh, the processes. You know, did the person have a consultation? How comprehensive was that comp- consultation? Did they have an examination? And were the examination findings written down? Were, were the treatment options discussed, and was the treatment performed in a uh, in a competent manner, and uh, what was the follow up and aftercare like, and what was the communication strategy between the the, the treating um, clinician and the um and the, and the, and the clinic and the, and the and the patient? So um I I I, I sometimes do this as well. So uh, it's 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 all it's all linked, isn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's it's, it's great to be able to, to be able to listen to you talking about things like this. What about patients that perhaps are a complex case? Do you, are you able to speak to other consultant plastic surgeons um, within a network and find out what their views would be of a certain patient problem?
1: Yeah, yeah I think it's, uh, it's always good to work in a team. And the thing about private practice is that um, as soon as you go into private practice, you, you lose your colleagues. You, you go into working as a sole practitioner and you're working on your own. So you've got to find your network, you've got to find your team, you, and you've got to find a multidisciplinary team. You know, when I was uh, working in the NHS uh, as a head and neck surgeon, the people in the multidisciplinary team, there were plastic surgeons, there were maxillofacial surgeons, there were ENT surgeons, uh, there were speech therapists, there were dieticians, there were specialist nurses, uh, there were radiologists, clinical oncologists, medical oncologists, and there were junior doctors. You know? And we had a research guy as well, so this was our team. Uh, I moved into private practice and uh, it was me <laughs> and that was it so, um, so I had to so we had to yeah, you got to build up your team and and yeah. I think your team needs to be made up of um, people from different specialties so we have uh, a doctor we have a nurse we have a pharmacist or uh, we have a, a non-surgical practitioner we have a surgical practitioner and within the surgical practitioners you know we have uh, p- possibly a, a group of plastic surgeons and we have people of different specialties as well. So, um, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm in talks with uh, one of my friends who's a general surgeon who uh, who's uh, straight in, in breast surgery. You know, we have a maxillofacial surgeon who works with us. Uh, there's a, there's an ENT surgeon who's, uh, who's uh, who says uh, you know he he wants to come along and um, do some facial plastic surgery. So I think if you can widen the um, diversity of your team, I think that makes for um uh, for for a good team. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's interesting. I was looking at your Instagram feed last week, Tamer, and you know, um, Dr. Uche, um, who's actually a mentor of mine. He mentors my work oh, at me. I've known him since last year, about what, 18 months back now. And um, he's known as the tear trough king for non-surgical tear trough treatment. And he, he's a really nice bloke. And I did, I, I, I spoke to him after mentioning um, that I'd be talking to you this evening. And he said, small world, it's such a small world, because he, um, he, ca- he worked with you, I think, was that some years back now?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing is, um, I... I you know you build up really nice relationships with some of your colleagues and, and it extends beyond what would be the normal r- professional relationship that we, yeah. we would have with uh, people that we work together with and i yeah. think with Uchi, yeah. i think I, uh, I i found that uh because i think we had a lot of things to talk about yeah. we had a lot of similarities yeah i think the guy's a super smart guy you know yeah. he's uh he's one of the um, he's one of the smartest people i've met and so I really enjoyed talking to him about uh, about his life, about his vision, uh, about his, uh, his plans to, to, to put his vision together. So I, 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 I really did enjoy my conversations with him and I still do.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a really nice bloke and he's, he likes a good joke as well. Can have a joke with him without any problem at all. Um, thanks for all this so far Tim. It's really great to be able to go through all these bits of information and advice that you've provided. In terms of the future, um, what are you looking forward to in terms of your work or maybe research or writing? Is there anything that you're looking forward to in the future?
1: I think I'm looking forward to my retirement. <laughs> <laughs> I think. So I don't know how many years I've got left in me, you know? So um, I've been at this for 15 years, you know, how many more years could <laughs> I do? So you know, like, and, I, and um, you know, I feel like middle age now. So, uh, uh, you know, when do you give up? Do you give up when you when, you're, uh, when you give up? Do you give up at your peak, or do you do you fall over that hill and start uh, start thinking, oh, my is deteriorating
0: a little? I'm sure you've not reached your peak yet. I'm sure you've got a long way to go before you go downhill in any way whatsoever.
1: <laughs> so
0: I think. Um,
1: you know what does the future hold? I think I'm maxed out. I, I I really I I can't work any harder. I can't work any more hours. I can't do any more than I than I do at the moment. And I'm in a very privileged position, and I realise the 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 luck that I have with that. Um, and 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 I think, do you know? I I think I do have plans, and um, it's difficult to put these plans into place when uh, when 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 you're working, you know, nine to five. Monday yeah. to Saturday. It's, it's, it's a bit difficult to put these plans in place. But what I would like to do is I would like to uh, be able to pass on some of the, the information that I've uh, I've learned over the years. So, you know, over the years, people have uh, allowed me to take videos of their treatments. So I've got, um, yeah. and I've, I've spoken during these treatments as well on a microphone, and it's recorded. So I've got a bank of videos and um and, and really what i would like is uh is, is is something like a netflix channel where you can flick through yeah. uh your your options you know i want to i want to learn about uh you know whatever procedure it is and yeah. uh, and um you, you, you can have that uh both targeted to to patients but also yeah. targeted to uh, uh to to practitioners so yeah. i think i'd like to put that together so i just need um i just need my own netflix channel <laughs> uh, yeah, i into it. I don't think it's all that difficult to, to to build a website like that.
0: You do it very easily, Tim. I think you get a lot of people interested in it as well. I think you'd be uh, you'd be very popular. And um, I have special guest contributions. Would you be one of
1: my my first special guest contributor?
0: I I contribute anything to you, Tim. Don't worry, whatever a, you want.
1: It's a deal. Let's let's do a virtual handshake on that.
0: <laughs> we'll do that. We'll, I'll give you a handshake there. There you go. All right, there we go. thanks a lot for this you know we've gone through almost 55 minutes of chatting here it's uh it's gone quickly i've got some questions for you at the end i haven't mentioned any of these questions to you and i do this with every well, pretty much every um, practitioner I've spoken to in the lives I've done over the last year or so. So I've got some questions and all you need to do, Tamer, if it's OK with you, is just answer a basic yes or no. No long winded answers. No... Explanations. You just give me a yes or a no. So it's basically just quick fire. There's about ten questions, and all I need is a simple yes or no answer from you. Is Is right, that let's, okay? Let's do, this. let's do this quick fire yes or no. You've got no idea what I'm going to ask you. So no, no idea. Are you ready? Go on. Right. Have you ever sung karaoke?
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You'll have to put that on your YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you use sunblock every day? No. Oh. Oh, come I'm along, for sunblock. I'm an <laughs> <moon>. <laughs> it depends how hot it is where you, wherever you are. I I Glasgow's Glasgow probably Glasgow is not that hot, is it? Usually, but we have um, no ozone
1: in our um, in our atmosphere because it was all uh, sprayed away by uh, in the nineteen seventies. <laughs>
0: yeah. Would you like to write a book? Can, can it be
1: yes or no? I know. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say no. But I know that you know, I've, I've had people say to me, you should write a book. I'm like, who wants to listen to me? You know,
0: it's it's like... You'd be, you'd be, you'd be shocked that there'd be people all over the world that would want to
1: listen to what you've got to say. <laughs> I, I'm not sure if they would. I think I, I, I know a few people who have written a few books and, uh, you know, good for them. But...
0: I, U- Uche Uche has written a book, fantastic book about specialising as a healthcare practitioner. You, if he can do it, no reason why you can't.
1: You know, I I, I wrote um I wrote a thesis. You know, I I wrote uh, what was it, twenty five thousand words or something, and uh, and, and I I, I I've ri- I've written stuff before. I, I you know as part of my research into head and neck cancer. You know, I, I I think I've written about thirty or forty papers or something like that. I I I i, I I've I've done a bit of writing in my time, but you know <laughs> who wants to listen to me? You want to know what I've got to say.
0: I, I, you can think you about know. it over the next year or two and you might change your mind yeah. in the future possibly. Um do you play a musical instrument? I
1: did. You did? So so at university I used to play the saxophone and then uh then um, my the the place that I was living in it got broken into and they stole my saxophone. <laughs> so um and then yeah, so I I, I I stopped playing after that, and then I moved into a flat, and I thought um, I can't really get a loud instrument, uh, otherwise I'll just uh, I'll just be the uh, that neighbour. <laughs> oh
0: dear, terrible! With a difficult decision, would you follow your brain over your heart?
1: Brain, yes, that's yeah. so a yes. You'd follow your so brain. My, that's the no problem. So my considered judgments are are more logical than emotional.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some people have to think quite hard about that because they're not quite sure which side they would fall on the head or the heart. So I thought I'd ask you that anyway. Yeah.
1: yeah and I think it's it's very difficult to uh, to repress uh, emotional decisions that can be made uh, without due consideration of the um, of the consequences and the implications. You know, one thing I've learned yes. from, uh, running my business is to run various what if scenarios. And um, and uh, and and you know you make a business decision. What if the following things happen? What if the following things happen? And one thing that I never did, I never ran a what if scenario. What if (laughs) the world goes into a pandemic? And I never (laughs) ran that scenario. (laughs) So now I I and and during lockdown I put together a um a a force majeure policy and um you know what if we're invaded by aliens what if there's a nuclear what if there's a nuclear cloud that that blows in the direction of the of the uk what if uh, there's a war what if there's pestilence what if there's famine? what if there's you know something of biblical proportion you know these are forced measures. these are, these are things you just don't expect what if there's massive flooding you know what if we get another message i don't know you know so i, I actually wrote a, a force majeure policy
0: you certainly plan things well, I must say. I've never come across anyone that's gone quite that far
1: as as you've I mentioned. I planned an alien invasion and the zombie uh, the zombie apocalypse. I planned that as well. <laughs> it's all in my policy. I'll send you my my zombie policy one day.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna to go to the next question before before we carry on about zombies any further. Have you ever been and felt embarrassed during a consultation with a patient? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, no problem. Have you ever made a patient cry?
1: A, a what cry?
0: A, a patient. Have you ever made a patient cry?
1: That they're, they're usually tears of joy.
0: That that's good enough. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. In fact, <laughs> a lot of my patients a, yeah. in fact, a lot of my patients when they wake up, I would say about twenty percent of my patients, when they wake up, one in five, when they wake up after their anesthetic and they look at the results. Um, they, they, they're, they're tears of joy. Or if it's a rhinoplasty and they take their splint off after a week. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Um, Have you ever carried out work or advised a celebrity?
1: A celebrity? You now, what is a celebrity? You know, you've got these people who think they're celebrities, but they're not really. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: I'm not defining celebrity, that's for you to do. But as I say, some people,
1: there's lots of plastic surgeons that see lots of celebrities. You know, I've seen some people, and then afterwards, people have said to me, oh, was that so-and-so? And And I'm like, yeah, how do you know? And they
0: say, oh, it's pretty famous. (laughs) I don't
1: know, I've never heard of them. So uh, there are people who are famous, and, um, you know, I'm just just totally, uh, blissfully unaware.
0: That's fine with me. Last question, Tim. Have you ever fallen asleep during a meeting?
1: Uh, During a conference?
0: Yes. And then when (laughs) I did, uh,
1: as soon as I woke up, I put my hand up and asked a question.
0: (laughs) No one knew. (laughs) And you you, you managed to get away with it, then, without any problem? Yeah,
1: big time. Although my friends were saying to me afterwards, you fell asleep, and then you woke up and you asked a question. (laughs) I said, I wasn't asleep. I wasn't asleep. I certainly denied it.
0: It This is the sort of of story you could include in a book without any problem at all. But I've I've got to thank you, Tim. That's over an hour we've been chatting there. It's gone over an hour, so... I've got to just say thanks a lot for your time and for uh, entertaining me and all the viewers uh, so well. So I hope perhaps in the future we might be able to do another live at some point and talk about another aspect of work or life in some way. Um, But if you want to involve me in a YouTube channel, I honestly don't mind. I'm quite willing to do whatever takes your fancy. I'm quite happy with that. No problem at all. Well,
1: why don't we do this next time? Why don't we do a, a quick fire round of questions? And it can either be a yes or no. And, uh, and, and, and you know, you ask me and then I ask you. I'll say, right, babe, yes or no. And then, and then you can you can respond back to me and then, right, Tim, on my turn, yes or no. So well, we could do
0: that. No, but I did it once, a four way live with, um, with four practitioners. Balsam was one of them, Uche was another, and there was um, another doctor from Rutland Aesthetics, uh, Dr. Sonny Desi, and we did a four way. It, it would quite easily work doing the same sort of thing with more than two of us if you fancied at some point We could do that. I'd,
1: I'd never get a work, word in edgeways if Balsam was on.
0: I tend to control the conversation quite well. So everyone's got has, has got sufficient time to have a good talk anyway. So you should be all right. But no, I've just got to say thanks a lot. I think we're going to get kicked off any second now. So thank you very much for your um, hour long chat with me. And um, hopefully we'll do something again in the future. Um, just really just say a big thank you, Tamer.
1: Thank you, Viv. Thank you for uh, um,
0: inviting me to join. No problem. I'll catch up with you soon anyway and enjoy yourself.
1: Cheers and bye-bye.
0: Okay, see you. Bye.